welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 114 of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is paul andrew williams who is an acclaimed writer and bafta winning director and paul has worked with a who's who of film and television he's directed films like london to brighton and cherry tree lane and bull starring neil maskell which is an incredible movie and he's also directed some tv you might have heard of like broadchurch with david tennant and olivia coleman and more recently the walk-in that was on itv with Stephen Graham and Andrew Ellis. And Paul started his career as an actor and he went to drama school. And he went on to direct pop promos and short films, which would eventually lead to London to Brighton, which won several awards and kind of opened everything up for him. But all the way along this path and through his career to date, Paul has had to deal with some mental health challenges and he's had to learn how to balance his mental health while working in film and TV. And that's kind of what we chat about in this episode. We talk about how he got into the work that he does, but also how his mental health affected him along the way. And I think mental health and the workplace is a really important conversation. And I don't think it matters what you do, but if you have mental health challenges, you're really going to relate to how Paul talks about balancing his mental health with his job and how he had to learn to speak about it openly to the people that he works with. So we chat all about that. We talk a lot about medication. Um, Paul is a big advocate for medication, but that wasn't always the case. And we talk about why he was originally reluctant to start taking meds and how they've worked for him and all that sort of stuff. It was wonderful to chat to Paul. He's incredibly open. He's incredibly honest. We talk about a recent patch of mental ill health that Paul experienced and kind of how that played out for him. And that's pretty recent as we recorded this. It was still quite raw and you could tell that, you know, Paul was still kind of working through it. Um, but it's a beautiful part of the conversation. It's really open and and I think it's important to talk about these things and I think it's important to talk that openly and I can't thank Paul enough for sharing that with me. For all the dark parts, there's a lot of light parts too. We have some laughs along the way. He's a lovely, lovely man. We hit it off straight away. I think it's only the second episode where I've hit record and we're already chatting and I don't even manage to get the intro in till about 10 minutes in because we just hit the ground running. And yeah, he's a lovely bloke. He's done some amazing things. He's continuing to do some amazing things. Oh, before I forget, something else that we talk about in this episode is the So Happy in Town, It's Okay to Feel Shit campaign. So if you don't know what that is, Susie Weaver, who's an incredible human being, she has a blog called So Happy in Town and as part of that blog she sells t-shirts and on these t-shirts it says it's okay to feel shit and the money from these t-shirts goes to young people's mental health charity. I think to date she's raised about 40 grand. It's incredible. Paul's a big supporter of her work. I'm a big supporter of her work and that's kind of how we met. We met via her page on Instagram as you do on social media and that's how we ended up coming on the podcast but we talk about that Susie's been on as a guest probably about a year ago now so if you scroll back 50 60 episodes you'll find Susie's episode and she talks all about that campaign as well I'd highly recommend checking that episode out I'd highly recommend checking that campaign out because it's wonderful and she's raising a lot of money and it's a beautiful thing anyway I've talked far too much everything you need to catch up with Paul is all in the episode notes same for me. If you could go and leave me a review, it would be very much appreciated. This is episode 114 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Paul Andrew Williams. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. It's, it's, it's happened on uh, film sets and TV sets before. No, really? Wow. Yeah, with you know where people where you've got a shot or you've got the scene and the actor's giving you really good stuff and the camera's right and everything, and then someone will say, uh, "Mate, I forgot to press the button," and then it's almost like the the fear from that person um because of 
the outcome or what the outcome could potentially be it's you know i'm like that's that's worse than the outcome dude you need to relax but mm. um yeah because we all we all forget to press record man I we think do. We've all done it. <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I was thinking this is a good. Like, I, I have anxiety. It's something that I kind of wrestle with quite a lot. And in some ways, for me, I think of it as a superpower. And there are some things I know I will never get wrong because it won't let me. I'll never put the wrong petrol in my car. I'll never forget to press record because of the the like the check, the check, the check, the organized, organized plan, plan, check, check. So although that side of it is quite exhausting, it means I'd never, I'll never do those things because I just I think about them too much. <laughs> But do you not think that I always think one of the things that I really have started to look at in terms of anxiety and, you know, mistakes is like, what's the worst? You know, if just what's, what if that happens? I press, I don't press record. I won't do it again. If I put the wrong patch in the car, fuck it. It's a call to the AA. Do you know what I mean? It's like really trying to. You know, it doesn't always work, obviously, but just trying to put into perspective what you know what actually will happen if it all goes if it does go wrong, if you do forget, if you do something, if something does Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful point, isn't it? Because the the like the logic part of your brain goes, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, nothing really exists if we want to get that, you know, philosophical about it. Nothing really matters, does it? There's always a solution and an answer. But yeah, then there's the other part of the brain that can kind of like latch onto these little things and uh, make a big deal of them. And I suppose that's but do you think? But, but, but do you think like the logic, the you know, quite obviously, I always find the logic side of the brain is much easier to is much easier to access for someone else, uh, as in for me to talk to somebody else about something. And in my own brain, uh, the logic and rationale and reality side of things, you know, obviously, like yourself, we will get pushed back into, you know, the irrational. And maybe that's why I do what I do. And maybe that, you know, that's also helps me create stuff and, you know, and do certain things. But yeah, sometimes logic is easier to, easier to explain to someone else than it is to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference between kind of knowing and, and doing for me, sometimes even in the moment, it'll be, it's almost like having the, you know, the cartoons with the angel and the devils on the shoulder. And there's like one side of me going, you're completely overreacting to this. And the other shoulders going like, nah, fucking say it, <laughs> you know, do it, think it, you know, like I even know it's illogical, but when it's happening in the moment, it's the quite a strange, uh, strange thing. It's interesting what you mentioned there, Paul, about like, you know, how much of that is, um, you know, allows you to do some of the things that you do. Cause I've often, you know, I'm a creative person and I often think like, well, I wonder how much of my ability to feel things in a certain way, it allows me to express them in a creative way. You know, if there's some sort of like link, you know, am I more susceptible to struggling with my mental health because of the way I am able to create or express myself through these things. And it's, it's an interesting, interesting link there somewhere, I think. Well, no, definitely. I think that, you know, look, in terms of our, in, in terms of the industry that I'm in, whether it be, uh, you know, actors, or artists, directors, everyone, you know, I, I'm a lot of people struggle with uh, mental health and all of it. And it's not, I think that we necessarily have more mental health problems than other jobs in society. But I think that basically as a, someone who's creative and sort of, sort of ex, express and to be open about stuff that it's easier for us to explain and not to sort of get it into an articulate sentence or an emotion, um, which makes it feel like, okay, well, I'm so creative. And because I'm so creative, I can feel all these things. And actually, I think a lot of people just feel them, but might not necessarily be articulate enough or emotionally articulate enough in the same way that we are as we are do you know what i mean as, as a yeah. creative writer or an artist or something who can just pour it out on the page or pour it out on the screen or in a song or anything whereas i wonder if uh, this is not to take away from the importance of uh, a mechanic or a doctor or uh, you know obviously but I'm, i wonder how emotionally articulate it, 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 that person might be at certain times because they haven't just spent their whole life going 
this is it. This is how I feel. This is how it, this is it. This is it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Or yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And I suppose as well, like the, the sort of people that you um, are around as well. So if you're able to express like that, will you, uh, and you're expressing to someone else who is used to hearing it and used to talking about these things, it's much easier, isn't it? It's much easier to say to someone who you know is going to kind of get it or at least be used to hearing it than it is to say to someone, you know, oh, I feel this way or I'm not feeling too good you know, sometimes we focus really on the talking in these conversations and it's, it's much more about the listening, right? It's about the fear of not being heard or understood or not having someone to listen to. That's one of the reasons why people don't like to talk about this stuff. Yeah, but also it's like, what do you say? I think that for me, if I'm feeling anxious or depressed or, or worried or whatever, I'm, I can sort of say, I feel this way. And it, there could be lots of different things because that happened, that happened and that, you know, sort of connect things where is I, I know people who when they're clearly struggling with something are almost only able to get as far as i don't feel right i don't feel good i feel down something's wrong and that's as far as they can sort of see it or that you know as far as they can explain it does that make sense yeah um, it makes complete sense yeah that was very much and right. No, um, yeah, when I first started struggling with my mental health, I just didn't have the words. That's how I say it. I didn't have the people say, Why don't you say anything? So I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that simple. It's exactly that. It's yeah. Like, I mean, and it was pain. You know, I was getting panic attacks. When I first started getting it, it was, you know, a complete panic attacks and mainly at night, not being able to get back to sleep or not being able to get on the tube. But suddenly, sort of coming from, I had no idea what they were. And this is, you know, a good 20 odd years ago. Um, but I, so I had no idea of explaining what they were and because they went and I felt normal at other times. It just, it, it is such a bizarre thing. Whereas I think that what's, what's great about now is that even in, even in 25 years, the, the recognition of what, what mental health is, what potential problems panic attacks can do and, cause and intrusive thoughts and anxiety and all those things i think are so much because of the awareness now i think it's much easier to sort of go okay well this is this and this could be for that so maybe i should try this you know yeah vibe yeah, yeah people are just i suppose more used to more used to hearing it and more used to talking about it and yeah that's the the beauty of the awareness conversation mate we've gone straight in there no messing around i didn't even get do me intro or anything but uh (laughs) no i love it i'm here for it but yeah i'm joined today by uh paul andrew williams how are you today mate i'm good man i'm tired i mean we uh, i've just started editing the show i'm doing which in the post-production of this show um archie which is a biopic of carrie grant and it's gonna be a long time it's an intense shoot and yeah, I'm, I'm mainly tired. I'm mainly just trying to, you know, control what's going on in my brain. Um, the multitasks that need tasking. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to, like, put systems in place for that, Paul? Because I imagine it would be very easy to, like, you know, oh, I'm just going to do a bit more. I'm just going to go back to it. I'm just going to go back to it. You know, when you want to get it done and finished. And I'm, I'm one of these people who are who, who just doesn't really write stuff down. So I'm very bad at, like, organization and there's a lot of stuff i keep in my head which i'm also so i'm a very very capable procrastinator so things that i have to do i'll put off and be distracted and do this and so suddenly i'm like okay i've got these five different projects that i've got to think about i've got to put this effort into this and, it and that but they need that so i can't do that because i've got to do that and even as much as i'm like i'm just going to focus on this one thing I find that very difficult because suddenly everything comes in. And yes, I find that very, very hard to do. Yeah, a lot of um a lot of plates spinning at the same at the same time by the sound of things, mate. But also I need it. If I haven't got that, I find it very difficult to sort of function if there's not a scramble. Right, yeah. So that's kind of your process as as well is to uh is to kind yes. of yes, yeah. So it's frustrating to need something or to believe you need it that is also really taxing mentally and uh, obviously because of that physically. 
Yeah, yeah. I suppose a lot. It's kind of like a gift and a curse scenario, right? It's kind of. Uh, I always think that, like for me, I always say, right, if I tell you I'm going to do something, put your mortgage on it. It'll happen. Like there's no doubt in my mind. I will like. I will make stuff happen and that sort of can be a really good thing but i can also make that happen at detriment to my mental health my physical health the people around me you know like i'll burn down but the do world. you but do you put a time do you have a time limit do you say i can make that happen today or i made that happen you, are you strict with that or you're like it just it will happen give me a minute I, I'll keep going back to stuff. So I'll sort of, I'll like, I don't know, put my laptop away and then I'll be watching a bit of telly with my wife, having a cup of tea. And I'm thinking, hmm, what if I just sent this email? You know, what if I just jumped on now? Would this be the, you know, would this be the thing that makes that happen? Right. I'm just going to go back to it, you know? And it's that like the stepping away from it is difficult, I think. Yeah, no, I agree totally. But it's all, but you know, listen, I then would want to play PlayStation, go for, you know, do something stupid and then have guilt for not focusing all my attention on it. And, you know, just it's standard stuff that I think happens with a lot of people who want to achieve stuff and give themselves far too much to do in a very haphazard way. And, and that's why, you know, I always used to think, like, imagine you had an assistant who she did everything in your entire life. So all you could do is just go, yeah, I want to do that and that and that. And, and whether that would be a benefit. Yeah, who knows, eh? Who knows? Yeah, but I'm just... very far off from getting one. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, just to rewind a little, a little bit, Paul. What was your kind of um, route? What was it that made you decide, like, oh, I really want to work in in film and television and media and all that sort of stuff, mate? How'd you get into all this? Um, well, I remember being uh, where I, I was living in a. I lived in a place called Tynmouth when I was fourteen, twelve. I, I moved there when I was twelve, and. Um, I remember I went to an Amdram thing to do a play, you know, with other kids and had never done anything like that before. I was like, oh, man, this is great. And then suddenly people, there's a big community of kids who like acting and showing off and doing all that stuff. Actually, I'm pretty good. People seem to think I'm good. It's good. But it got into that. Then I got into, then I started to progress and I got into National Youth Theatre and I got into drama school and then I did acting and then I had a bit of a complete meltdown. And went back home, sold windows, and then came back to London, did a bit more acting, thought I'd write a short film, and from that found a real purpose to continue to do stuff and to make stuff and a big fucking drive. And then it led me to America where you know, hadn't had a panic attack or anything of any real serious nature for a very, very long time. And I got offered a film which in hindsight was a very bad movie. I took it and all chuffed. And then suddenly it hit me that it was a very bad movie <laughs> and I was out of my debt and I had a total, you know, a meltdown isn't meditational, but I had panic attacks, severe panic attacks and anxiety every single day, every single day. So I said, I'm not doing this job. Came home, lived with my parents continue to have anxiety but started to go I need therapy I need to find a way out of this and then started making then I made my first film so throughout all making films and stuff like that the severe anxiety that would plague me and the tears and the it was uh yeah it was it was tough and it wasn't until I'd made two films uh, that I finally went on medication and that changed things very much, you know, very positively. Yeah. When these things start to happen, when you start to experience them, Paul, did you know what this was, like the panic attacks and stuff? Did it? Well, I only, I only know because I started to have, I had them when I was like 22. As I said, I, I sort of went on surgery without knowing what surgery was, without knowing what panic attacks was. It was just a doctor said, you know, take these. So I took them and lived with my folks and I was 22 and didn't really look at why didn't go and talk to anyone just took these pills and then you know I got engaged to someone where I lived and I worked in a in a in a, in a room selling windows to people and saw my life being back to just that and not entertain not in entertainment not in what that was stopped the pills felt all right and then it all started again, as I said, very big style when I went to America and that thing happened. So I would say about five years later. 
and only then did I start speaking to people and speaking to a therapist and really trying to understand what it was that caught, that was triggering these things. And from that point, I carried on until for another three, four years, trying not to be terrified of taking medication. Until eventually, I was I collapsed in a field <laughs> in a park behind my house and. Actually, it was my dad who is very anti all this stuff. So he was like, you should go to the doctor. And then I went to the doctor that night and, you know, things started to improve. And, and still had mental health, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Was it, what What was the um, reluctance towards medication, Maze? Why did that take so uh, so long? Because, because, one, I thought it would dull my creativity. Yeah. And two, because when I first took sertraline as a as a twenty one year old, the crossover from it being in your not being in your system to being in your system, and you know you'd read the bloody prescription, and it would say, "You might experience this, you might experience that," um, and you know I remember literally lying on the floor just sweats freaking out my head was all over the place and so hyper vigilant in my own headspace i was like i'm i'm going i'm mad i'm mad i'm mad and it wasn't until i got through it honestly that i felt uh, relatively okay again and i didn't want to experience that i was so frightened of experiencing that two weeks of mental turmoil even though i was going through mental turmoil every single day i was so frightened of going madder you know, because at the time, I can't remember the drug, but I was so susceptible to stuff. So I'd read, you know, about people committing suicide and all those things on the pills and having suicidal thoughts. And it would just be like, that's me. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to come out and do, you know, mass shooting. That's where I'm going to go if I take these pills. And obviously that wasn't the case. You know, and that wasn't the yeah, I think I think people find that so relatable, Paul. I know I certainly did, and I used to kind of because you you um you can really confirm your own biases, right? So people would tell me a horror story about medication when I was like determined I wasn't going to take it, and I'd listen to them. And now when I think back, I think I wouldn't take like I don't know, you know, advice about looking after my kids or my diet or why am I listening to this person of all people? But because they were allowing me to say in my safe space and not have to do something brave and scary and challenging i'd listen to them and you can do that right you can just conf- you find the people that tell you what you need to hear to avoid doing the thing that you need to do it's just something that we kind of quite good at no sure and, and i remember at the time i was seeing a cbt therapist called sylvia major who i've lost contact with who you know i really liked and respected very much and not only that, there was a doctor and, uh, you know, the doctor who prescribed the pills. I'd never seen him before. And he was, you know, I, I look at him as like his words of like, if you don't like them, you don't take them. You just take, you take them and see how they get on. And, it, you know, his sort of words of, you know, it'll be okay to try these pills. And his manner was, I think, fundamentally me starting to get you know better healthier um and i remember i was on 100 milligram and then i was due to have a child my first child and that had thrown up all sorts of past traumas and 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 stuff and then one day i held this baby before but and I suddenly completely wigged out and and everything was going on at work and so on I went back to the doctor and said look I'm freaking out what's going on and I remember explaining all this stuff and he, and he was like well what did you expect what do you expect when you know you're, you're listing all these things that would cause anxiety and you're surprised that it's causing you anxiety um and it's like I think that help you cope just you know we just increase the medication it happens all the time and he did that and then you know obviously there have been ups and downs throughout everything but that's sort of been where that's that was where it it left yeah. but that doctor you know 
And it is, we kind of touched on that before, but it's that logical voice, right? That's kind of when someone says, well, if you, if it makes you feel worse, we'll just stop. And if you need a bit more, you have a bit more. And someone, and you go, oh yeah. I mean, that makes like, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But trying to tell yourself that, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from um, uh, an Olympic athlete called Tasha Danvers. And she said to me, when your brain is well, put things in place to catch you when your brain is poorly because a poorly brain does not make good decisions. It can't, you can't trust your ill brain. And that to me made so much sense, you know, because when you are in it, you're not making, it's like, I don't know, it's like texting when you're drunk or something like that. Right. It's just, it's not, you haven't got yeah. the, the control, the resources, the ideas. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Right. No, I know. And I think that, Anyway, he, it was a real um, game changer. And, you know, there are things that have come with that. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I know it's probably about, I must have put on a couple of stone. Now, I was always ever nine stone, thin as a rake. And, but I like, yeah, happy. I put on, can't get that off. You know, can't ejaculate as much as I would like to, which, you know, is, you know, when, then when I found out, oh, yeah, that pill. They sometimes give that to people with premature ejaculation. I say, well, fucking great, because I'm taking loads of it. So, you know, um, and what I, I'm only bringing that up because it was only when I spoke to a couple of other people that they said the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's that. It's fucking annoying. Um, it's an annoying side effect, but I'll live with that for sure. Yeah. Um, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to not. Yeah, the alternative is a is a lot worse, right? Is a lot yeah. a lot worse. Yeah. How did once you kind of like um start to get a bit more understanding and the medications working, what was it like going back into into work and working on these big projects? Because I kind of like, you know, from my own experience and other people I've spoke to, sometimes like there's almost a almost a fear around you know had a, a breakdown an episode whatever people want to call it and then you go back into the into the life that you want to lead and there's almost like an element of fear like you know will I go back will I be as good as I was when I left there's a lot about going back to doing what you were doing you know how was that for you coming back into the into the industry well I have that every time I go back about everything or even if I just take time off you know even if I just go off for and, and don't shoot something for a period of a few months. I don't know. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And like everyone, like I think a lot of people, are like I can't do it. Can I? Can't. It's all fucking fluke. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do it. There's all these people, and you know, looking at me, and there's people asking questions, and and then you start to go, well, just always be honest. So. I never hide my mental health. I never hide the problems that I've had. I never hide the problems that I might be having. Um, I've stopped trying to try hard and do it a different way, like do work a different way, because I think that work would be more, would be better. If you're like a sort of settling into the way that I function as a director or as a writer or someone on set, and settling into that and not trying to go, well, the way you're doing it is totally shit. You need to do it a different way. When I'm actually like, well, no, this is just a, this is the way. And it's, you know, and also, oh, yeah, that's what that's what I think. So I think I get scared every time I go and do everything. I get scared of watching what we've just done going, shit, it's going to be terrible. Need other people to say, actually, it's good or it's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that I always think of like imposter syndrome and, and those sorts of things, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's a sign that you care, right? It's a sign that you give a shit about what you're doing. If you if you didn't, if you just like swanned in and was like, yeah, everything's great, I'm amazing, like, you know, that it, it it's different, isn't it, I think? Yeah, it is, but there's also, I think that what would be great is to have the balance of, well, actually, I do, I'd be a liar to say that, of course I can do it. Of course there are things I can do and there are things that I'm better at than other things. Um, I'd be like you know, be, it'd be false, uh, disingenuous to say that. I think it's just settling into the way that you do it, as opposed to judging what you do on how someone else does. And in terms of imposter syndrome, I'm like, well, actually, 
have been in this game for quite a while. And, you know, part of the thing about being creative, and if you like, like we talked about before, like the curse and gift, but the price of that is that sometimes my head is all over the fucking place. And in order for me to access parts of my brain and emotion and thoughts, I have to open the door to a lot more stuff, which actually sometimes is quite frustrating and painful and not pleasurable. Yeah, yeah, sure. That was something that I was really thinking about in the build-up to chatting to you is, you know, with um, acting and the, the performances that, you know, you'd have to give or to, you know, other people performing. I mean, people have to go to some quite dark places, right, in some of the hard-hitting stuff that you do. And, I mean, it's yes, it's acting, but it's also not acting. Like, it, you, do you know what I mean? There's a hell of a real element to it. And can that be, like, taxing on mental health and stuff? Like, you know, if you have to like i don't know grieve someone for repetitive takes you know you can't you just shake that off afterwards or how does that work well i mean luckily i've never really had to do that um because i've always had fucking great actors who were able to do it i think that what you know you'd obviously have to speak to people individually but i think when you see people people have different people there are people i know who can just turn it on and turn it off there are people I know that have to find something to get them to the place of, you know, anguish or grief or tears. I find that, you know, for myself, a lot of the time if I'm writing something and I'll think about the pain that that might cause me, if I, then that can cause pain. But I'm also, it's not, that isn't, real it's it, it, you know it's it's good for me to feel these things because it would help me to put that into the work and speak to someone else say hopefully this is what i'm trying to get out of this moment and a lot of the time you know i will talk about things that have happened in my life that aren't necessarily the same as the experience of a character but might have a similar you know might have something that someone could uh associate with or recognize yeah, there's that like human thing that underlines all of this stuff, doesn't it? Whether it's like mental health, or grief, or any of the strong stuff, like regardless of of the whys and the whens and the hows underneath, it's all like a very human thing, isn't it? You know, we all experience yeah. these emotions, and yeah, yeah, and that's why you know with 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 a lot of TV and film and drama and stuff like you know, a lot of the things that people have written about and actors are then performing, they've never experienced. Um, but emotional trauma, everyone's experienced. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, of course, they're going to be different feelings, but the root of pain and 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 so on, as well as joy and happiness and love. And, you know, we have had people be the famous getting an actor to be a parent in a show when they've not been parents. You know, there are still ways of experiencing love that they've been through before that they can then project onto what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose we can have, you know, you don't have to have experienced something to have compassion and to have empathy for. No, of course not. Yeah. Otherwise we'd never be making shows about anything that happened before. Yeah. 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 Um, No, totally. But I'm, it's, you know, but it's a, it's a very intense job that everyone takes very seriously and everyone puts a lot of thought in but we are not saving the world and it really is important uh, you know to sort of go dude we're all fucking so lucky man we're getting fed we've got you know we're getting paid a very decent amount of money more than a fucking doctor does you know at times and it's fucking we are so blessed to be doing this and count your stars man yeah and it's really lovely to be able to appreciate that right to be able to kind of look and and i've sometimes i think like when there are mental health struggles in our life, when we're going for a bit of a dip or a patch or, you know, whatever people call these things, it can be really, really useful to go, all right, hang on, I am going through this right now, but let's sort of zoom out and look at the bigger picture. And, you know, like I do get to do this amazing stuff or I do get to, you know, you know, I do get to do this podcast and I speak to all these people and that's really, really good. And kind of remind yourself of all the the positive things about the work that you do and the, and the, the life you get to lead, right? It's, it's important to acknowledge that, I think. Yeah, but everything like, you know, family, kids um 
you know, where I am in the world as opposed to where I was. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, what's really hard, I think, with mental health and it is is not the moment. It's not just accepting it's a mo the, the moment. And that's I find that really hard to not believe, you know, when I'm in when I'm having a moment of fear, real fear or panic, it can be so consuming that I literally can only see that feeling for the rest of my life. Um, do you know what I mean? It feels like being stuck on a roller coaster and you're like, this is a roller coaster and it doesn't stop. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it was weird because I was just finished, I'd done this big long job. And then I went to on holiday with the family to Mauritius. And on the first night there, I had an, a, a really horrible moment of fear and anxiety and complete stress, complete panic and uncontrollable what the hell's going on. Um, from out of nowhere, I thought, obviously it's from somewhere. And, uh, you know, I had my wife with me and, you know, she just was reassuring me how much she loves me and how, you know, it's okay and how, you know, you're needed and whatever, you know, I'm here for you and my family are here for me and, you know, my family are here for me. And But at the time, it, it was horrible. Yeah, God. And I think about having them every day, having those feelings every day for a period of time. Yeah, it was tough. But, you know, over a couple of days, you know, I mean, it's amazing paradigm. I was like, oh, why now, man? I really just want to go home. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. And, uh, yeah, and I had a, and, I, and we went out. This it, is called carrying like this, sort of like this, yeah. Um, and I was talking to him. I was in my in-laws and my, took my children and my wife. And we were having dinner in this place and I was just a shell. And it wasn't until I had a, bit of a cry and just said how much I appreciate you, my family, uh, you know, and my in-laws being there to, uh, who'd supported us because we lost the child this year. Um, we had a, we were having twins and the uh, Atlas died just a few days before we were due to give birth. And you know, my family, Caroline's family had been just so great over that time of being hospitalised and being all over the place and looking after our other children. So it, it, it's, it, and plus this job has been very difficult. And it was just a, a whole period of time. And then suddenly, boom, it was like, okay, now it's come and hit me like a fucking brick. Yeah. Is it, do you think it's a case of maybe Paul, you had to kind of like do all these things to, to get through that period of time and to hold things together and get the job done. And then you get to a moment where you can actually like breathe a little bit and then everything just kind of whoosh come, comes in at you. I think, uh, do you know what? I don't know. And I don't even try, I'm not even going to try and understand why it got to that point. I know I got, I was, I was very sad. Um, I, I wasn't actually, I was just very, I was crying, I had emotional in, in thanks. And because I saw my wife being really with her parents and her kids, and they were so happy, they were so happy at dinner. And it was just like, and that made me go, I'm so happy to see them happy. So I was like, fucking wank. But I was so happy to see them happy, at which point I then said, you know, thank you for everything you've done while, you know, since we lost Alice and looking after Caroline. And, you know, we all had a bit of a moment and my parents weren't there, but it was good that Caroline's parents were there. And then it started to, I started to sort of feel, feel better. And, but at the time, it's, it's fucking, yeah, at the time it was just horrible and scary. And I kept saying, to them, you know, this will go, this will go. It's so I just ride it out, relax, it'll be, yeah, I wish I wish the answer was press the button and it changes, and it just never will be. 
but it yeah. is just it's just a case of riding riding, riding out. Yeah. Riding out, which is not which is easier said than done when you're in the moment very very much so you know very much so. i think it's like i suppose again it's that logical logical brain thing again you know but you know i always just try and focus on all the evidence to the contrary you know when i think like it's never going to pass then i try and think about all the times that it has passed and you know eventually... yeah and i do i do a lot of writing down. i went and bought a, bought a notebook and i did my evidence journal um which i haven't done for a while but i would always do and i remember when i first started to get anxiety and pads and pads of pay, of stuff you know i'd have to write down every time i went on the tube or the bus i was writing down things to get better and it's just weird isn't it because when you you don't see it in someone so you know we talk i talk about mental health with people at work and, and so on and still people are like oh my god you went to I had no idea. You know, you couldn't, can't quite fathom that someone who might appear confident and in control is actually just a fucking gibbering wreck moments before they get there. Um, and it makes you look at everyone else and go, we are all just fucking fragile as hell. And you can never judge anyone's appearance of uh, wellness to be that you know to be 100 percent accurate yeah yeah it's all true that stuff isn't it you never know what other people are other people are going through and you know people used to say to me i had no idea you were sick and i was like well that was the fucking point i was working really hard to make sure that you never found out you know that was half of the uh (laughs) that was half of the problem you know but um something about i would always say it i would always say Mm. so the next morning i said to my in-laws i said you know i had a really terrible panic attack last night and I just say, just say. Now, if I feel get into a room and feel anxious, I'll be like, oh, I've got to stay. I feel quite anxious about this, and you know, stop hiding it and share and be like, there's nothing for me to hide now. You can see it. I'm fucking, you know. Yeah, that's really freeing to be able to talk like that. I found, you know, I always thought when I if I opened up about this stuff, I'd push people away, right? And my wife would leave me, and they'd take my kids off me, and all these like horror, horror thoughts. And um, in reality, it kind of it brought people closer to me. You know, I think people can kind of like, you know, can connect with the with the openness. I mean, you you've talked very open about it. Um, how have you found people's response to it? You know, as being a an advocate, well, the, amount of pe- the amount of people, the amount of people who go. Oh, man, that's how I feel. I felt like that. I take those pills. I do, you know, I put my I put my medication on instead just for, you know, this is what I take every day. One of the things that I need. You know, and, you know, I don't have the thousands of thousands, but but some people then start to do that. Some people told me privately that's what they take. And I'm like, I'm not, there's no shit. I don't feel any shame in being on medication. I don't feel any, and, and I, what I do think is that some people do feel it much more difficult to talk about it. And I think when hearing other people talk about mental health, whether it's in a pub, a dinner table, you know, we're in a car with your mates, it, wherever it is, it just helps though. It just helps it go, oh, well, hang on. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just, I'm not, I'm not the only one, which is a fucking blessing. And to hear specifics, you know, when you hear someone say, God, I was stood down, I was gibbering wreck, crying my eyes out, crying on the bed or whatever. And you're like, well, I know that. And now I know that you've done that and I've seen you function in life. I know that I'm not going to explode, <laughs> you know. And, you know, for, you know, my wife, who I love and I've seen, you know, we've seen each other in terrible places. And I just think it's, I would say most people have been in terrible places, places where they wish, you know, they're glad there are no cameras, that no one ever has to see them suffering or acting in a way that is scary and is out of control because, you know, we all like to be in control as much as we can. And the fact is we're not always in control and it's impossible to be in control of everything and sometimes it is free to say you you know we're just all fucking nut jobs in a different way 
Exactly that, mate. We're all doing the best. I, sorry. Yeah, the best. No, no, I'm sorry. Basically, I was thinking that, you know, I think, I personally think people who are like never exposed, who never sort of uh, have fear and panic and stuff like that, I personally think that's um, a mental illness, right? Because I personally think that, that you're, you're, you're not, you know, you're getting fucking cancer inside of something because your body you're, you're you're stopping yourself from just a normal emotion which i don't know yeah i think yeah i you know i think you're onto something there i think most of the people who can't you know feel and experience and feel fear and have compassion and all these stuff most of them end up in the houses of parliament right that's kind of how we end up end up in the situations that we end up in you know yeah but, uh, you know it's kind of like that's uh, that's kind of it yeah but yeah it's um yeah it's really interesting man this whole talking about it because i think when someone goes first it gives other people like an unofficial permission you know, and so many people just want someone starts the ball and go, oh, yeah, that, that's I've, that's totally happened to me. And like you say, so many people then go, oh, right. OK, Paul can speak about it. Tom can speak about it. Maybe I'll be all right to speak about it. So the, it, it kind of opens up the floor for other people. But it also gives you control of your own narrative. When I started speaking about this stuff, I always think about um, Eminem movie, Eight Mile, you know, at the end when they're rap battling and he says all the shit about himself. And then the other guy's got nothing to say. You know, it gave me control over my yeah. my story. I was I like, oh, that. cool. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> this is everything do with it what you want you know i've got nothing to hide anymore and that's really empowering that's kind of like helped me through a lot of uh, a lot of that yeah and i think that you know look you've got um if you have we all have there are people well i would hope that most people have someone that they love and someone who cares about them and and uh beyond fortunate to have that with somebody um and you know i've got kids now and they're unconditional um in terms of you know their love for us and you know i mean i'm i'm just extremely fortunate place of being having people who are emotionally articulate around me who are non-judgmental of mental illness yeah no it's a lot because of uh... I, yeah, lovely space to be in, right? Lovely space to be yeah, in. Yeah, because, you know, I've got so many mates. You know, there was, I was mates with someone the other day and I forgot my pills and he was like, I've got, do you want to take some of mine? Have some of mine. You know, and you're like, that wouldn't have happened when I started. Suffering. You know, that's, it's, and pills aren't necessarily just the answer. Everyone's got their own choice of where they go. I don't drink anymore. I don't do drugs. I don't um, do a lot of, stuff and I think that you know but everyone's got their own way of not doing that everyone's got their own way of coping and in terms of looking after my mental health I don't I can't drink I can't gamble I can't do drugs and I can't and I take medication and every now and again I have to reevaluate where I am in terms of what work I'm doing and how I'm looking after myself you know yeah, it's like a puzzle, isn't it? You know, and some people's puzzle is 10 pieces, some is 100. They all look very different and you've got to find them pieces and put them together and build your own puzzle. And that's kind of, that's that's what it is, you know, to to take care. Yeah. Um, something I really I want just, to... I'll go, go, no, go, go for it, mate. No, no, I was waiting yeah. for you, man. Ah, um, the joys of Zoom, right? So um, yeah. something I really wanted to ask you was, there was an um, amazing uh, picture of your Instagram while you're working on your latest project of the sort of the cast and crew all in... Um, our mutual friend Susie Weaver's uh it's okay to feel shit t-shirts man that was um that was a really really cool thing well when I saw that um it's okay to feel shit I thought it was very good and it's right it is okay to feel shit and it I could probably learn a bit more of like allowing other people to feel shit without thinking I need to fix that moment of shitness for that person whether it's my wife or my kids or whatever you know we should all be allowed to feel not a hundred percent and you know and weirdly i wear that t-shirt and people who don't know anything about it are like oh yeah no oh god that's that's so right and you know usually on a job everyone gets a crew gift or whatever and i thought well look let's give everyone this because they'll wear it and they'll wear it to work and there are people at work who feel shit and don't feel that they can say anything and um 
also uh, the thing is is that as well as by i think by wearing that shirt it's almost like an advert to say i get uh, you know i can try and get it that sometimes the, the you might feel bad or you might feel this way i'm not oblivious to um if you know you come tell me you feel shit or you feel terrible or you feel emotional i'm someone who can get it uh, to a degree you know i mean it's not just a t-shirt it's like i'm one of you <laughs> yeah definitely you know, like adver- advertise is a safe space i you know when i wear mine i've never ever worn it and not had someone talk to me about it ever no, like it's just never happened. I wore it to a festival in the summer and I couldn't get anywhere. People just kind of stop and like, oh, what's that? And I'd say, oh, it's all for youth minds, you know, and like uh, chat to about it. But it's started so many conversations. And I think sometimes we focus on all the big stuff, right, with mental health. It's like, oh, right, I've got to, I don't know, run the rent of the country or start a podcast or write a book. But sometimes just wearing a T-shirt and having a conversation with someone in your local community makes a huge difference, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, well, I think that uh, it is all about just being able to recognize that it's all right and to recognize you're not um unappropriate you you know that you're not a complete pariah if you're feeling a certain way and i remember you know i did this wrote this thing for directors uk which is just the thing about mental health at work and just how you know the perception of a director or a person in control of any form of work and the perception that they're tough and they know everything and they're doing this. And that makes someone think, well, actually, look how in control they are. I'm not in control, so I must be terrible. I can't be like, you know, and I'm like, I need you all to know I'm not in control. You know, what you're seeing is a, what you're seeing is someone who's, you know, directing people and running the floor and laughing and being polite and, you know, giving instructions, if you like, or whatever, is someone who is as much a mess as you are at that point. And you can function, you can be who you are, and you can be this person, you can do all right in your life and still and still struggle at times. And I think it's, I just think that when you see you see so many people who just look like their lives are perfect, you know, when I, when you'd get on the bus and you'd have panic and all that sort of stuff, and you'd be like, how can I expose my panic? Look at everyone on the bus here having a great life, having a great time, you know, and you're thinking, that's just not true. Half the people on the bus are probably, you know, might have very similar circumstances. And it just made me feel like, I wish that probably at times I'd understood more. So when I was faking it, um, I might have been able to not have to fake it because I recognised in others that they were faking it as well. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if the statistics, that big statistic, like one in four people will have a mental health problem at at some time in their life. And let's face it, it's probably higher than that. But then when you look around your bus, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Look around that bus and count all those people and kind of divide it by four. And, you know, you're looking at a big chunk of that bus is going to, um, is going to be going through something at some point. Right. So it's, uh, you know, what you said is, is kind of bang on there. You made a wonderful point just a minute ago, um, Paul, about, allowing other people to feel shit without trying to fix them. And I think that's huge and really, really important because it is in us, isn't it? To kind of like just jump in and what about this? What about this? But it's not always the right solution. eh? No, and I'm definitely someone who's like, I can make it work better. I'm so brilliant at making it work for someone, you know, total arrogance and narcissism, whether it's from a good place or not. But the idea of like, Someone tells me that they're feeling this way. Okay, I can I, I can speak to me. I'll, speak, I'll be able to do it. I'll give you the best advice you ever had. You know, um, when sometimes my wife tells me all the time, she's like, sometimes I just look like you're listening to me. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. And I'm like, yeah, I need to, that's something I really need to work on is allowing someone else to guide their own drive their own need for, for something, for help, for 
advice, for talks, for chats, for empathy, whatever, rather than imposing my need to be the one who's making it better. Does that make sense? So yeah. I'm just fucking, no, it just really arrogant, does. Arrogant pig. Arrogant pig, me. <laughs> me too. I think that's why it jumped out at me because that's my that really kind of like, you know, you know, sometimes sometimes something just hits, and I thought, you know what, that's what I do, you know. And I also think like the reverse of that, why people are scared of the mental health conversation is because they think I don't know how to fix, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to tell this person. If this person comes to me and says I'm struggling, what if I get it wrong? And you know, the reverse is true too, right? We don't have to say anything, we don't have to fix. If you know, you just have to be, just be there. That's it. That's all that sometimes that's all that's needed. Well, I remember, you know, obviously we lost uh Alice this year and it's interesting how you know it's a different it's not necessarily you know it's about death and but obviously it's caused a lot of emotional trauma for me and my wife and how people are afraid don't know what to say so when you say you know someone asked me how many kids I've got I'll always say I've got three and we had a daughter who didn't make it and people are like oh I'm really sorry to hear that and they don't say anything again and that's fine i'm happy you don't have to say anything there are, you know my friends some friends said a lot of really great stuff some friends didn't say anything and some friends didn't necessarily react to it uh, because they didn't necessarily know what to say and i sort of speak to my wife about it and she says often she just just say it's a bit shit just you know you don't have to fix it you just have to acknowledge it that i've said it and not be afraid of acknowledging it. And I think that's with, again, the same in a way with mental health, is that just by saying, okay, yeah, I hear you there, because it's really tough, and and, and be, leaving the door open, if you like, rather than entering their room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely, uh, lovely way to put it, mate. And I think they do. We do. We are scared of these big conversations to to some extent, you know. Definitely, it's um, it's a trick. Yeah, you don't know what to say. You don't ask anyone. You know. Mm. Oh my god, I've not had a child die. How am I supposed to say anything to it when actually, when someone dies, when anyone dies, it's shit. You know, you can say there's loads of things you can say. I was like, oh, they've had such a great life, mate. It's shit. It's shit. And you're shit and you just, you know, just let it, I can't tell you what's going to happen. Just got to let it go. Let, let it happen to you in your way or whatever. Yeah. But in, but in men, but with mental health as well, it's especially, you know, narcissism is a fucking mental <laughs> idiocy problem, you know, where, you know, you do think you can fix it and actually, yeah, I definitely think I need to listen more. Yeah, yeah, I think we can all, uh, I think we could probably all say that, mate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've interrupted you about 16 times on this fucking thing, such as my need to get my, 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 my wiseness. <laughs> I'm exactly the same, though. I'm always, uh, so, you know, because in, if we're talking in like, you know, one paragraph, you might say three really cool things and I'm trying to remember all three to like try and go back to. And it does get a bit, uh, 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 but um, I think it can only be a positive, right? It only means that the, that we're talking about some important things, you know. But Mate, I think it's really great. And I think that we, you know, we should just all, uh, uh, you know, I think that what you do and anything that gets it out there that, you're all right. It, it, you know, you know, you're not a freak. You're not, you know. And remember, like going to hot, like I used to be. I couldn't drive past Highgate Mental Hospital. I, I couldn't drive past it. I was so anxious about being dragged in there. And it's like, you know, there are people I know who have been in, in, into uh, and needed, you know, stay in uh, care. But then your brain is still an organ, man. Your brain is still a thing. Your leg is, you know, anything, your body, you, everyone, you know, it's everything can need fixing. And just be, hey, that whole thing, like if you had a broken leg, you'd rest up. If you had a broken mind, get to work. Yeah, no, it's true, isn't it? We seem to see these things differently, but it's not the... um not the case at all not the case at all mate i'm really um conscious of your time today paul so no mate i'm um, listen this is this is um you know i wanted to come and speak to you i mm. think it's really 
you know, which is more, there's more to do, isn't there? Just not necessarily, you know, like you said, running up mountains, but to get people to say, you know, just to feel it's okay to, to chat or to, to sort of speak to someone. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. You know, just suicides, you know, fucking horrific situations of people feeling so bad about themselves and that's what they do. I mean, that's, you know, we shouldn't be in a society where we have to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, isn't it? I think a lot of that comes back to kind of what you said before, you know, like when you're poorly and you're in it and you can't see a way out of it, you know, I always used to kind of like look at my life as two halves and I used to say, crikey, like I've got to this point in my life. And if I'm lucky, you know, with a bit of luck, I'm halfway through. And the idea of doing this again is fucking exhausting. And I don't know if I can face it. <laughs> that was, that was kind of how I, how I looked at it, you know, and I, you know, a lot of that, 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 all the stuff around suicide and these horrible statistics is that isn't it it's being in it and thinking it you'll always be in it and the more we can kind of yeah. show people that that's not the case and and you know yeah empower them to stick around yeah it really is it really is that it really is i i blessed my you know my friend who i'm working with right now who i rang up from mauritius and said you know i'm fucking wigging out man i'm really having a bad time and he spoke to me and he was you know, oh God, makes me emotional just because I'm grateful that there are people I know who, and maybe a handful of people I know I can call up and say, you know, I'm really struggling. And yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm just very lucky to have people, uh, excuse me, people like that in, in life, man. Yeah. Uh, we could all, you know, we all should be do our best to have someone like that. Yeah, yeah, can all have someone and all and all be that someone, right? Have that someone. Yeah, and always. Be that someone my phone. Someone is, else. Yeah, and then my phone is there. I do do that. I am there, you know, and I have been. But, but even though, but it, uh, it, you know, chatting and being an ear is a lot easier than being a mouth <laughs> sometimes <laughs> because. Because it's easier to sort of be like, to, to sort of calm someone down or to tell, talk to somebody than it is to sort of uh, uh, be the person who's like, I need, need you, I need, I need. Yeah. yeah. Oh, mate. That's a lovely, uh, I love that. It's easier to be a, to be an ear than a mouth. That's my quote for the episode there, mate. And it's a, a lovely place to, to draw a line under it. Paul, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really want to thank you just for your, your openness and your honest, honesty about all the things you experienced recently as well. I think that's so important to talk about. And um, yeah, thank you, mate. Thank you so much. Mate, listen, it's, I think what you're doing is great. Um, yeah, I think thank, I'd thank you. And I hope I haven't made myself sound like a complete goon. Oh, not at all, man. Not at all. I think you've sounded really, uh, really honest, really authentic. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure to meet you, man. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Well, listen, whenever you're in London, mate. Oh, mate. Thanks for coming in. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Do you so. live in London? I don't know. I'm for, I'm in the Northwest. I'm near Liverpool. So, uh, yeah. Who do you away. support? What team do you support? Well, I'm Welsh, so I support Swansea City. So uh, I'm I'm, a, I'm probably the only Swans fan in the uh, in Merseyside. But yeah, that's that's my team. Yeah. What about yourself, Paul? Liverpool. I grew up in Liverpool. So. Ah, no way. So, yeah. Oh, okay. They've yeah. been mine. Yeah, they've been my team. Since, ah. Since kid. Since um, forever. Since my dad and yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts in Liverpool, mate? I grew up in a place called Mossley Hill. Oh, okay. I've heard of um, it. And. Just been filming there for ages with Archie, and I love Liverpool. Oh, mate, it's an incredible city, incredible city, incredible people. I've lived here about 12, 15 years, something like that. My wife's from, so we don't live in, we're across the water, right? We're on the Wirral. Um, so it's my wife's neck of the woods. We've been here a long time. My kids are from here, so it's home for me now. And um, I love it very much. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. Lovely people. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really, you know, I really do like it there. And I've still got family there. and yeah it's great oh mate well if i'm in london i'll give you a shout and likewise please do man yeah if you're in the northwest again then uh yeah yeah, we'll grab a coffee or something that'll be lovely but mate anything you know anything that could be done or i can do at any point it's really important and i would you know 
do whatever. Oh, mate, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, really, um, really appreciate that, man. And um, I'll let you know when it's coming out, and I'll uh, you know put links to all your stuff in the episode notes and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful for everything. Thank you oh, very much. Right back at you, mate. What are you up to today, man? We got much. Just uh, I'm editing this, and then looking forward to doing some Christmas decorations tomorrow. Ah, oh, sick. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, you know. nice all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, mate. Cool. Paul, I'll let you get off, man. But thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. I'll let you know when everything's out and all the rest of it. And um, yeah. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you, mate. Take care, buddy. See ya. Bye. A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast. <laughs>